Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Monday, November 27th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk Podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes, rolling in through the front door after uh, a weekend of stuffing himself with turkey and <laughs> gravy and mashed potatoes. Hoynesy, how you feeling? Oh, my God, Joe. I can, I, I can barely move, man. My knees are killing me. <laughs> I, 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 think my, I, can't, I can't make it up and down the steps. I'm going to have to sleep down the, downstairs from here you on know out. You, you know you were dominated by Thanksgiving dinner when you start to feel it in your bones, Hoinsey. That's I, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm back from a, a, tri- a quick trip down to South Carolina to visit my in-laws, and uh, I, I'm telling you, we, we sat on the couch just stunned and dazed after uh after eating piles of food so uh good to get back in the uh in the flow here good to be talking to you and and the guardians didn't remain uh silent didn't remain inactive uh during the holiday weekend the long holiday weekend uh news got out a report out of san francisco that kai correa the former giants bench coach under gabe kapler who actually filled in and, and managed uh, the final series of the season last year uh, after Kapler was let go. Uh, Kai Correa signs on as uh, part of Stephen Vogt's Major League staff. Uh, we don't know. There's a, there's a bit of a question, uh, Mark, that, that should be answered at some point uh, early this week uh, from the Guardians as to what specifically Correa's role will be. Uh, with Cleveland under vote, uh, it could be some sort of hybrid role. Uh, we don't know. Right now, there is an opening for a bench coach after DeMarlo Hale left, but uh, we, we could see uh, an announcement on that coming soon. Uh, uh, but we do know is that 35-year-old Kai Correa is is going to join the staff uh, of Stephen Vogt. Uh, and, and, you know, it's a guy who's not unfamiliar to uh, the Cleveland organization. Yeah, Joe, he was, uh, you know, a, a minor league uh, infield coach with Cleveland, a minor league, I think, infield coordinator um, for a couple of years before he joined uh, the Giants big league staff. Um, popular guy and an interesting guy. You know, he's in, he doesn't have a lot of experience and he's, you know, like you said, 35 years old, really young to uh, be a, uh, you know, in, in a big league coach, a big league bench coach. And, uh, you know, obviously, obviously an interim manager for a while with the Giants. So uh, interesting trade. I mean, interesting, you know, if, it, it, an interesting addition to uh, the staff. If it, you know, if it comes to fruition, and we, and I think we both think it's, it's pretty much a done deal that should be confirmed here in the next few days. And I, I would imagine the rest of the coaching staff has got to be affirmed up here too pretty soon, Joe. Yeah. And, uh, this makes, uh, what two, uh, the number of, um, coaches from uh, the San Francisco Giants staff, uh, that have come over, uh, and, and, and joined, uh, votes, uh, major league staff now. Uh, Craig Albernez was announced as uh, the the major league uh, you know, uh, field coordinator for uh, the the Guardians on the day that vote was announced or I- introduced as the new manager. So 
you know, if, if this if this organization now starts to take on sort of a West Coast feel, a, a Bay Area feel, uh, that's what uh, that's what vote sort of brings. And, you know, he's he's from California. He's from out there. Uh, obviously, Correa, a, a Hawaii native, uh, 35 years old, really didn't uh, play, uh, have much big league experience uh, or, or minor league experience for that matter. He, he sort of went uh, from his college playing days uh, uh, right into coaching, and and that w- that's been his path really. Uh, but like you said, the the personality and the uh, he he sort of just like vote. Uh, you could tell he sort of had those leadership qualities and those management qualities uh, when uh, just in talking to people and in reading about him uh, from the San Francisco reporters uh, that, you know, he he, he sort of built a reputation as sort of a a player's coach uh, as, as he was coming up and, and he spent, you know, the last several years as, as the bench coach there. So he knows what to do in, in those situations in, in terms of, you know, running spring training and, you know, sitting there during games and, you know, thinking three steps ahead for, for the manager. So, you know, maybe he's in the dugout next to vote, or maybe he's on the field uh, as a, as maybe a third base coach, they need a replacement for Mike Sarbaugh. Uh, But one thing's for certain Kai uh, Kai Correa will be working uh, probably in a lot of cases, again, with some of these young infielders for Cleveland. Yeah, Joe, he, he knows them. I think he, he probably knows most of the Cleveland's infielders, the middle infielders, you know, having uh, coached them uh, for, over the last couple of years, or, you know, before he joined the Giants. And uh, so I think, you know, that's all. I think that's it kind of makes sense. You know, vote uh, before the Guardians hired him, interviewed for the Giants job, the manager's job, and he played for the Giants. So we've got that uh, San Francisco connection, I guess. Yeah, I just keep thinking back. I was on that trip when they, uh, when the Guardians went out to L.A. and San Francisco last year, and you know I remember uh, uh, the, uh, the the front office. Chris Antonetti was out there on the trip. Uh, I wonder if he was, uh, you know, at least uh, laying the groundwork or, or getting to getting to know or, or meeting uh, any of these guys, uh, knowing that Terry Francona was was going to be stepping away at the end of the year in terms of who, who they were willing to, to meet with and uh, for, for interviews and, and looking to, to fill out positions. Uh, you know, maybe some of the groundwork was laid back then. Obviously that's all, you know, speculation and you don't want to accuse anybody of tampering or anything like that. But uh, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to, you know, refamiliarize yourself with some of these, these names and faces. Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, they know uh, they know Correa, you know, from his time in Cleveland and, uh, you know, Terry Francona. That was one of the things why he told them in, in uh, you know, mid-August that he was stepping aside and uh, gave the uh, front office a head start to start interviewing people and uh, or, you know, putting lists together. And I'm sure, uh, you know, Correa and 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 Albernez were on that list, you know, as a, as a and they probably you know would go talk to the front office of the Giants and you know get get a scouting report on these guys. You know, uh, it, vote is what thirty what thirty eight thirty nine something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. is thirty five. Albernez obviously in his his late thirties. Uh, uh, I I gotta believe you know the staff is getting significantly younger. Uh, with Tamarlo Hale uh, leaving, uh, Mike Sarba, who's been around for 34 years, uh, he's he's uh, now no longer part of the staff. Uh, obviously, as as this uh, this 
team sort of reflects that, you know, the, the youngest average age of, uh, uh, of any major league team in the last couple of seasons. Uh, now the, the manager, the manager and the staff are all going to reflect that as well. Uh, they're going to be very young. Uh, what kind of sort of mistakes or, you know, issues are we going to see pop up as, as these guys, uh, they, they, they don't know what they don't know right now. Yeah, it's good. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Be a, I, I would imagine it's going to be a learning curve, but you still got some veteran guys like Carl Willis is going to be there, mm-hmm. you know, uh, as a pitching coach, um, you know, Victor Rodriguez, Chris Faleka. Chris Faleka is a young guy, but, you know, this is what his uh, third year. Uh, Rodriguez has been here, uh, you know, about, I think, about four or five years. Joe Torres is another young assistant pitching coach, another young guy that's going to be here for his second year. So I think it's a pretty good blend, Joe. But, yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, I just think the information, there's so much information out there that uh, I think, you know, and these guys obviously are are into sabermetrics. I mean, you know, the Giants were one of the foremost sabermetric clubs in baseball. I mean, they, they kind of redid the basement of, uh, you know, their ballpark. I mean, they were. I think they were running out of room for the locker rooms for because of their sabermetrics department. So, or their you know analytics department was so big. So, uh, you know, I think you know that'll help them. Uh, you know you know, close the gap, anything really, if there's a deficiency there. And, uh, you know, but I think it's, it's a pretty good blend of, you know, kind of experience and, and, and a uh, youth and, you know, San, I forgot to Sandy Alomar, you know, has been mm-hmm. here forever and he'll bridge that gap as well. Yeah. That's uh, sort of the, the, the uh, there's a good blend, but like you said, uh, the, at the top, the the guys making ultimately the the decisions that are going to be reflected on field, you know, vote Correa, you know, to a to a degree, uh, Albernaz, those other guys, those are guys who are going to be doing it for the first time. So it would be good that they have you know Sandy and and Carl Willis and Victor Rodriguez, and and to a degree Valleca uh, in their ear uh, as they're they're out there making these uh, these calls. So it'll be fun to to watch that and watch that develop. And it'll also be fun to get to, to sort of get to know some of these new guys and, and their stories and, and, you know, what they like uh, from a, from a reporting perspective on the, on the team, it'll, you know, you sort of, we, we sort of had heard all of, not all of, but many of Tito's stories and, and, you know, his background, you know, we were very familiar with and had written about and, and done those stories so many times you know, it'd be fun to, you know, write, uh, find out new things about Stephen Vogt and his past and, and what he brings to the table. And, you know, I, Kai Correa seems like a super interesting guy. I'm, I'm eager to hear about what, uh, you know, growing up playing baseball in Hawaii and that kind of stuff was like. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, the new, the, uh, the jobs stay the same, but the faces change a little bit, Joe. So everybody's got a story and it's going to be interesting to find out which, which, you know, these guys' backgrounds that, you know, you, sometimes you get, you know, we, there has been so, so little turnover, you know, with uh, Francona and his coaching staff over his stay in Cleveland that, you know, this is really kind of a, you know, a new dawn. So we'll see where it takes us. 
Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Uh, and as we get to the new dawn, want to remind our listeners, uh, subtext is the best way to stay on top of all the coaching announcements, uh, free agency, any sort of news uh, coming from that regard. Uh, subtext is your best way to stay in in tune. Uh, you can sign up for uh, $3.99 a month, get text messages sent directly to your phone from Hoinsey or me, uh, you know, all throughout the, the off season and into the start of the season. Uh, go to cleveland.com slash subtext or uh, send a text message to 216-208-4346 uh, to sign up that way. Uh, you know, one thing I forgot to mention when I was talking about uh, driving down uh, to South Carolina uh, to, to spend Thanksgiving with my family down there, uh, on the road, uh, one thing that you can't get up here uh, is uh, we got uh, we stopped for uh, breakfast the one morning at Bojangles. We got some biscuits at uh, at Bojangles, uh, and, and Southern uh, states do do the biscuits the the best. Uh, I, I think uh, loaded up on on biscuits, and and I, I just I can't say biscuits enough. I, I think uh, uh, on today's podcast that was really sustained me last week through the uh, the whole trip. <laughs> Uh, biscuits when, and gravy you put gravy no 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 man just biscuits just the oh, biscuits yeah. they were so good uh i gotta i gotta tell you 40 years have been you've been doing this you've been on the road are there any like local or places on the road that really stand out to you as favorite uh food places like you can only get maybe say in minnesota or in in kansas city that you have to stop at every time you uh you go out on the road Cause yeah, I'm telling you, I'm I'm telling you, Bojangles is my spot now. Every time I go to South Carolina. <laughs> oh yeah, okay, yeah. There's a couple, uh, uh, you know, uh, Papa Do's. Uh, it's it's kind of a chain restaurant, uh, seafood restaurant. But in Texas, I always mm-hmm. go there. You know, the the uh, blackened catfish. I, I like I eat there like three times a day. <laughs> if I could, I would if I could, I guess. And uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, and uh, the the Black Bear restaurant in in uh in uh, uh you know in uh goodyear uh great oh, yeah. breakfasts yeah there and that's that's a chain too but i think it's more out in uh you know the california the west coast but right. great breakfasts i mean they give you so much food it, it's unbelievable but yeah. yeah those are those are the two that kind of stick out to me the last couple of times out to la i, I went to uh in and out burger because everybody talks about uh you know everybody raves about how good that is and 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 I didn't I didn't think it was anything uh, super special, but uh, you know I I I definitely tried it a couple of times just to say that I did. But uh, I, I think I tried Jack in the Box too. I don't know, but yeah, uh, just in 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 different cities on different trips, you, you have your own you know must haves that you just can't get when you're you're back here in Cleveland. So uh, I just wanted to just wondered if uh, if that was any. I, I I have to try Papados the next time I go to Texas, uh, just because on, on your recommendation. But you know I've heard I've heard good things, and we've both actually tried. Uh, we, we've eaten at Murray's in Minnesota. Right? Oh yeah, the, definitely. The steakhouse that's that that place is top shelf. I, I would put that at the at the front of the list for sure. Definitely, that's good. That's good stuff. Yeah, definitely. All right, now that now that I'm all worked up and I've got an appetite, let's uh, <laughs> let's talk about uh, over the weekend the. The Hall of Fame ballot uh, was mailed out uh, voters uh, for the uh, Cooperstown Hall of Fame, National Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, uh, get their their ballots in the mail. The whole packet is it arrives with breakdowns of all the candidates. Uh, a couple of former Cleveland players 
making their first appearances on the ballot. Uh, Bartolo Colon, Victor Martinez, and Brandon Phillips, uh, all certainly uh, worthy in their own right. Uh, what do you think of the, 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 the latest group of candidates to appear on the ballot uh, this year? Yeah, Joe, three really interesting guys. Now, I, I, you know, we saw him get to we Cleveland fans saw, the, you know, saw a lot of Cologne and a lot of Martinez in an Indians uniform. And unfortunately, they saw a lot of Brandon Phillips in in a Reds uniform after, you know, one of the worst trades in in Cleveland history when they sent him to Cincinnati for a minor league pitcher who never made the big leagues uh, with Cleveland. So, um you know that was, uh, but you know, the three three kind of really kind of interesting guys. Like, you know, um, you know, uh, Cologne Cologne won 247 games. Joe, mm-hmm. he pitched for I think he pitched for 21 years. He was still pitching when he was 45. You know, he had he had a PED suspension, but you know, I don't think you know. I was looking at the, the comparing his you know 247 wins, and I know the win has been devalued. But against active pitchers right now, and Verlander is the only guy with more. He has mm-hmm. 257 wins, and you probably you think of Verlander as a first ballot Hall of Famer. I would right. think when when he's done. But you know, I don't think you you don't think the same way against of uh, you know Cologne. And uh, but they you know just uh, he's he pitched forever, and you know I'd hate to see a guy like that just do one, get a one and done, you know, and and not get five percent. But, you know, uh, who knows? Who knows what will happen? And, you know, I, I, with with Cologne pitching for as long as he did, for as many years as he did, for as many clubs as he did, that could certainly help his case because he's got sort of a widespread appeal uh, pitching in, in several different markets where, where writers would, would still remember him, uh, particularly for pitching in both L.A. and in uh, New York with the Mets, sort of becoming a, a larger than life character and, and, uh, uh, you know, beloved sort of figure, uh, with the Mets in, in his time there, uh, out of that group of three players that we mentioned, Cologne, Martinez, and Phillips, I gotta believe that Cologne definitely has the strongest case to sort of remain on the ballot for, for several years. Uh, I, I, like you, I'm curious to see what, uh, what his first year, uh, you know, percentage is, uh, but I certainly don't think he's he's a guy who'll be very high after the first year in, in terms of his percentage. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about that. He, I don't think he gets in, Joe. But he's he's an interesting case. Uh, you, you think know, he? Maybe, wait, do you think he ever gets in? No, I I I do, I do not think he ever gets in. But do you think he doesn't get I, in? Because I don't know, of, but but you know, maybe who knows? Maybe they look differently on on. Uh, you know, if it, if it gets to, uh, you know, the Veterans Committee, some one of the Veterans Committees might look differently on him just because of the, the numbers he accumulated, you know. Do, do you think the writers put him in at all or does he go the full uh, the full, what, 10 years before he, you know, he passes on through the, the writers, you know, eligibility? Boy, that's a good question. I, I would like to see him, get, you know, get 5% of the vote so he could stay on the ballot for, for two or three more years. So people could evaluate him further. Um, you know, but I, I, I'd be surprised if he's a 10 year guy, Joe, I really would. What about Victor? Uh, do you think, uh, I, I think my, my own personal feeling, I think Victor's very worthy, very, uh, you know, a great guy. And, and, you know, he did a lot of, of, of nice things, but 
this is the Hall of Fame, not the Hall of the Very, Very Good and Very Nice. Uh, I, I think, you know, maybe he stays on for a year or, or so, but uh, I think it's going to be hard for him to get elected by a vote of the uh, of the writers as well. Yeah, I think you're right. A 295 lifetime hitter, over 2,000 hits, uh, 246 home runs, uh, OPS plus of 118, 32 war. Uh, you know, really a good player, Joe. Now, the, the the only the thing that really hurts Victor is, you know, he was kind of a for a big part of his career, he was a one dimensional player. Mm-hmm. You know, he if he could have stayed, if he could have had this career as a catcher and and stayed as, as behind the plate, um, you know, in, in, as he did in Cleveland, spent most of his career in Cleveland as a catcher. You know, I think uh, we we'd be talking about a Hall of Famer right now. Yeah, those those numbers as a catcher would would make him, you know, very high on the on the list for uh, a Hall of Fame, uh, you know, vote there uh, for sure. If he if he had caught more seasons behind the plate uh, before becoming what a, a mostly a DH uh, for most yeah. of his, the, the later part of his career. Uh, Brandon Phillips, the, you know, Cleveland has basically put Brandon Phillips on this ballot uh, if, if it weren't for uh you know, the letting him go to Cincinnati where he flourished. And then every time he faced Cleveland, he just killed him uh, over his career. I think he's got a, a 134 OPS plus against Cleveland. Uh, what was the, the batting average? Uh, 332. He just he just seemed to kill Cleveland every time he faced him. Uh, 332, nine home runs, 35 RBIs in, in 59 career games against a team that traded him away. Uh, like you said that he, he took, uh, he just took extra pleasure in, in beating Cleveland every time he faced them. Yeah, Joe. And it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a, a franchise changing, uh, a trade for when Cleveland let him go. I mean, it, it, it hurt them. You know, they, they had, he was their second, he was the second baseman. He was, he's just a 10 year player at second base if they don't trade him, but he had a personality conflict with the manager, Eric Wedge. Wedge did not like him, and uh, it was a mutual feeling back and <laughs> forth. Uh, and you know, Brandon was cocky. I, I remember when we when he when they first got him when he, he from Montreal and that in the uh, Cologne trade. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and uh, he said we asked him what kind of pl- player he was. He goes, I can pick it and I can swing it, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and he was right. I mean, this guy, you know. Every time he hit a, had a big hit or a home run against Cleveland, I can remember, I can see it as plain as day. As he's circling the bases, he'd be staring in at Wedge in, in, <laughs> in the Cleveland dugout. And there was no, there was no love be- lost between those guys. And after that trade, you know, um, the front office run by Mark Shapiro, you know, changed the way they evaluated players and changed the, their strategy on making trades. Uh, because, you know, that, that was, if if you're if you're a GM and you make that deal, if you send Cologne to Montreal for Grady Sizemore, Cliff Lee, and Brandon Phillips, you should retire right then. That's because you're never going to make a better trade. And and to have and to not have that trade reach fruition in Cleveland as it should have, that's a tough one. That's a tough one to take. Right. Yeah. And and like you mentioned uh, earlier when we were talking, you talk about Sizemore and Lee. And, and Phillips were the return on that. And none of those players stayed, you know, obviously Sizemore probably had the, uh, the biggest impact on the franchise, but eventually, uh, you know, Lee and, and Phillips, you, you, you moved on from 
and it's it, as whereas they could have been, you know, longtime cornerstones in your your franchise, like you were saying. Yeah, uh, so I mean, what what Lee Lee wins a Cy Young in Cleveland. Grady yeah, can't afford is, Yeah, Grady's thirty thirty. He goes thirty thirty. He's an All Star, and 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 when after you trade Phillips to Cincinnati. You know, he wins four glove, four gold gloves, goes to three all-star games and wins a silver slugger and, you know, hits and and ends up in a career where he hits over 2000 hits. So, yeah. you know, said that, he was you know, probably the best of the bu- best of the bunch in terms of long term productivity. He could have been. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, enough lamenting the past and, uh, <laughs> you know, just looking back. But uh it'll be interesting to see when that vote comes out where cologne where martinez and where phillips fall in terms of the percentages and hopefully uh you know they get a a longer look than than maybe just uh definitely a longer look than kenny lofton got but uh we'll save that for another podcast in the future uh before we get going wanted to mention uh the the latest uh free agent news uh in the central division uh the twins uh lose a uh, big, you know, portion of their uh, starting rotation, two fifths of their starting rotation, is uh, is now elsewhere. As Kenta Maeda uh, signs a two-year deal with the Tigers for about 24 million, uh, and uh, just announced today, Sonny Gray and the St. Louis Cardinals uh, are in agreement on a deal as well. Uh, so now you've got Joe Ryan, Pablo Lopez, Bailey Ober as your uh, three frontline starters in Minnesota. And uh, they've got to fill in either with veterans or bring some some younger guys along to to fill their rotation. But uh, we know that the the Twins are trying to cut payroll, so uh, might not be a, a top of the line starting pitcher that they're going to be looking at in free agency. Uh, what do you think of what's going on in Minnesota in terms of their pitching? Yeah, definitely, Joe. I think you know we are seeing um, the the effects of. Um, you know the the twins saying they're going to cut back their their payroll. They were at a what a, a franchise record 165 million in 2023. Uh, they have a questionable TV contract. Uh, they don't know where they're going to you know where their games are, if they're going to go with MLB or they might make their own own deal. But there it sounds like you know their their contract with uh, Bay, uh, Bally Sports is over. So, you know, interesting, interesting to see the, you know, the uh, division champion have to uh, readjust on the fly here. And, you know, I, you know, obviously, you know, with Sonny Gray and, and Kenta Maeda, those guys, you know, Maeda, not so much, but, you know, Sonny Gray had a really good year for them. And, uh, you know, it, it signed with, uh, you know, went went to the, the Cardinals for we don't know the terms yet, but the Cardinals uh, are adding some pieces, Joe Lance Lynn. And uh, mm-hmm. Kyle Gibson as well to that rotation. Yeah, pitching is is where they needed the most help, and and pitching is where they're going to focus. So uh, certainly interesting there in in, in terms of the Cardinals. Uh, but I I just keep thinking about the Central now. Uh, you know the Twins cutting payroll and and letting high priced players go. Uh, the uh, the Guardians with a a new manager and uh, you know not not really sure about you know how things are going to work out there. Uh, you know, the, the, the White Sox having their own issues and not, not to be, not, not necessarily going to be a, a much of a threat. I don't think a lot of people think, uh, for, uh, the upcoming season, but, uh, the Tigers, it's, it's the dawn of the, it's the, the dawn of Detroit. They're, they're going to be the up and coming team in the, uh, in the division, right? Hoinsie, they're, uh, they're, they're the team everybody's going to pick in the, in the central coming out of, uh, in the off season, I'm sure. They could be Joe. They finished, you know, <laughs> tied with, uh, Cleveland. 
but they won the tiebreaker and finished second. So they are they're coming on. They but they're unfortunately, Joe, they they have all those those high draft picks, those high uh, number one picks, you know, pitching pitching picks that are hurt, Mize and Manning. Mm-hmm. We we right. just don't know if they're coming back, which is why you know they're kind of loading up on Sonny Gray and and I mean I'm I'm sorry on on uh, a guy like Cantamayeda. Right. Yeah. That's, that's their, that's what they're looking for. And I'm sure we'll talk about that more uh, as, as the off season uh, goes on. All right. That's going to wrap up today's edition of the uh, Cleveland baseball talk podcast. We'll uh, be back with some more player breakdowns as the week goes on and whatever news comes out of uh, guardians camp uh, stay locked in right here. and, And we'll talk to you then. Okay, Joe.